Welcome back to the Discovering Forestry podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Corey Lofi, hanging out with our friend Joe Aitken. Joe, how are you doing? I guess better than last week. I could kind of talk. Um, things are going good. It's that weird time of the year where in urban forestry, we kind of slow down, check up, see how our year went, uh, and start planning for next year. So very interesting for us. But um, I know that our guests this evening are not in urban forestry. So it'd be interesting that they're still working hard out there while you and I start doing trade shows. So I'm excited about tonight. Me, me too. And without, without too much more banter, we'll just get into it. Our guest this evening, I actually had the pleasure of meeting when I believe at least one of the last names was different. Back at, uh, back at UW-Stevens Point, University of Wisconsin at Stevens Point. So without further ado, Andrew and Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Please tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Hey, Corey. Um, yeah, so I'm Sarah Galnick, was Sarah Holter back when I first met you. Um, but I, so yeah, I started in Stevens Point, majored in a, a forestry management degree, um, and that Fled me around. I kind of have my most of my career has been in like wildland fire up until this point in various degrees. Um, traveling around, I worked in Minnesota for a bit. I worked in South Dakota for a bit, but I'm back in my home state of Wisconsin now. I work for the state of Wisconsin, um, and I am currently a dispatcher there. And I do also do forestry stuff as well. So it's kind of a, a dual position there. I do a little bit of both. Um, is that Wisconsin yeah. DNR? Is that the DNR you work for? Correct. Yep. Oh, fantastic. I know a few peeps over there, over the pond. So I'm in Michigan, and I'll talk about Michigan, Michigan State a little bit too. So. Oh, very cool. All right. And Andrew? And uh, my name is Andrew Gulnick. I also went to the University of Wisconsin Stevens Point. Uh, previous to that, I grew up in the logging industry in uh, West Central Wisconsin. Um, so you can say the forestry part was in my blood. Um, I graduated in 2012 with a degree in forest administration utilization. So I'm a more boards and cords guy, kind of just my background. Um, I bounced around for a couple of years within school and outside of school. I, uh, I cut timber and logged during college in addition to working on all sorts of other weird jobs, including wildland fire. Um, I work for a utility pole company as a field forester, timber buyer for two seasons in and outside of college, and then went to the Wisconsin DNR. Um, presently, they're almost nine years now, good gosh, as a field forester and wildland firefighter out of the central part of the state now. So I also work for the DNR. It's funny how that goes. And uh, I still keep on the forestry thing. I recently just bought a very large chunk of iron that is costing me money going back into logging a little bit on the side, um, just for uh, like my personal stuff uh, at my home and that type of thing. So yeah, definitely between that timber sports, kids busy. So sounds like you are, you are, both of you are by all means and understanding traditional foresters and like a complete bubble and encompassing the traditional forestry right yeah sort of i my job is kind of a desk job at this point now i help with the um like the the background portions of it um i don't get out in the field as much anymore but 
So yeah, yeah kind of like the backbone of the forestry department. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm dying to find out how did you get into timber sports? Um, so that was something that we both had started in college. It's kind of just a hobby thing for us. Um, it's, you know, you got to have something to spend your paycheck on, right? Well, you, you call it a hobby, but what some of our listeners need to hear is that I was flipping through the channels last week and I saw <laughs> your face with a new last name on it. And I go, I haven't seen him in 12, 15 years, whatever it's been. She's a professional athlete on TV. Tell us, tell us what it's like to be a professional athlete on TV. That's it's weird to hear from me because for us, it is just a hobby. Um, but it's, it's just something that we both have started in college and we go, we, we go to, you know, small local competitions kind of throughout the Midwest, mostly. Um, we do, yeah, we do. He's, he's wearing the lumberjack world champion shirt right now, which is hosted in Hayward, Wisconsin. We do participate and compete and in that as well. Um, but it's just something that we, you know, it keeps you in shape and, um, it's just fun. When you guys were at uh, UWSP in 2011, uh, the university won their first ever, um, competition championship. Were you guys on that team when the school won their first ever, I think it's conclave or was it, you guys are part of that? Uh, yep, yep. I, we were part of that. So uh, I guess a brief history on that whole Stevens Point team at this point. So uh, we started school uh, late end of 20, 2008. And at that point, um, there's a non-traditional student. His name is Adam LaSalle. He's now he's a professional lumberjack before this. He works for the U.S. Forest Service out of Minnesota now. Um, he had previously competed in timber sports at Paul Smith's College in New York and had uh, take some time off between colleges. And then he went to Point was looking to start up a timber sports team. And actually previous to that 15, 20 years, the school did have a timber sports team. Um, it wasn't to the level that we took it to. Um, it was a little, not, I would say not traditional timber sports stuff with the log rolling um, and that type of stuff. It was just more dendrology and maybe some underhand chopping stuff, but Adam brought it to a new level. Um, he competed in the conclave that first year and ended up winning it and we won the conclave as well so when we were doing it um, and still now uh, sponsored somewhat by steel but also by the attending colleges and each school sends a representative from their team to compete in the steel collegiate timber sports series and adam won that and ended up actually winning um actually i believe the nationals that year so yeah <laughs> it's been a wild ride from when we started in 2008. yeah i've, I've been working with uh, michigan state universities forestry club for years and i actually have their competition saws in my studio right now oh, okay um, awesome. <laughs> i had a guy um told me he could sharpen it and i'm like all right because i didn't want to have to send it out to new york or somewhere he goes oh yeah I, I, i've been doing this for years well i sent it in there and it came back and you couldn't cut your way out of a wet paper bag <laughs> so i'm so pissed right now that i want to learn how to sharpen it myself <sighs> That, because I feel so bad for him. Good luck. Good luck on that. Yeah. There's only about two guys, I would say, in the Northern Hemisphere right now that actually, well, maybe three that will sharpen or stone those type of uh, pieces of equipment. And uh, yeah, the guys that are doing that are few and far between. And yeah, there's a, there's a waiting list three quarters of the time. I know you got some gear waiting to resharpen now, too. So that's a perfect reason why I need you to be an apprentice <laughs> to learn it because. You can really F those saws up fast. 
Because we put it on a dial indicator. We looked at how far off. Some of the teeth were 30 thousandths off. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what did this guy do to this thing? I hope he didn't wreck it. It's an old uh, James Taylor saw. Yeah, oh, okay. Saw. Yep, Jim Taylor saw. Yeah. But, yeah, I got him because I felt bad. Now I got to find a way to get him dialed back in. And I'm thinking, shit, I guess I'm going to have to send him out. So it's, it's fun working with him. When, when you two are competing, maybe we'll go Sarah first, then Andrew. When you two are competing, what are your favorite two events to compete in? So I would say for me, underhand shop is my favorite, probably by far. Um, it's it's kind of the the first one that I started getting into. Um, it's just I don't know, it's just just my favorite, and I like to start out that one, I, it felt more natural to me than like some of the sawing events and stuff. I've always struggled a little more with some of those. So the underhand shop, which for those of you who don't know, it's, um, a log is you stand on top of a log, you cut little footholds in it for your feet. But other than that, you stand on top of it and chop it in half. <laughs> Try not to lose toes in the process. <laughs> We do wear safety gear to uh, to make sure. Hopefully, that doesn't happen. <laughs> I think on TV you don't know it because of the chainmail socks, but nobody really knows that you're protected. So, I think that's a a poor, sad mis uh, disclaimer is that someone sees you doing it in sneakers, they're like, "Oh, whip it! No PPE needed." Right. But we know you. No, we definitely protected. wear chainmail socks. You could still break bones, but you're at least not going to bleed. So. <laughs> Yeah. That's awesome. Crush your toes, but you don't lose them. And right. What, what about you, Andrew? What What's your go to? What's your What's your number one? Uh, so I've always I, I do like the underhand myself, but I think I've always felt more natural as the single buck. Um, when you're talking about the saws, I just I'm a tall guy. I'm pretty good upper body strength. I can really push those things through fairly well. And if I get a decent saw, like I um I actually saw it in the show this year at Hayward, which it was pretty good for me. Um, but I would say uh, single buck was about one of my favorites. And then I do enjoy the standing block. It's one of the ones I'm still bettering myself at, but a standing block is usually a 12, between 12 and 14 inch uh, round piece of wood, usually Aspen cottonwood or something of that flavor um, that we chop in half. And it's, uh, it, it, it's, it took me a while to get good at it. And it's one of the ones that everyone sees and it looks really, really easy, but more, the more you do it, the more you're always like, Oh yeah, this is, I got to do this better. I got to do this better, but it's nothing better than just, you know, hauling in, driving off on that last chunk and just watching it fall. I mean, it's, it's the best. Now there's quite a few other, I love the hot saw when I'm watching it on TV, there's something about the hot saw. And uh, I came across the 1978 Home Light um, 1030 logging saw to the city of Chicago. And my buddy is turning it into a hot saw for me. And I wanted <laughs> okay. an old school beefy saw. Um, and not to start any type of uh, uh, women's lib or anything like that, but the men and women don't compete all in the exact same categories. Do you? So, Sarah, could you run a hot saw if you wanted to? Um, yeah, I would say there's probably nothing that like, as far as, you know, entering that said, I couldn't, they're heavy and they're expensive <laughs> and very expensive. 
Yeah, I was just curious because um, when you watch on TV, I like the springboard shot. I think that's, it goes back to such a traditional way of setting a springboard, setting it right, hopping up there, keeping your balance, and then doing the standing chop on a springboard, what, 20 feet in the air. That's pretty amazing. But no, again, Corey and I, technically by OSHA, cannot leave the ground without being tied in in urban forestry. Sure. You guys jump on all up in there and uh, on a springboard and do a, um, a, a, a standing block chop 20 feet here. That's, I love that. That's oh, yeah. so traditional. There's, so old school. there's definitely uh, waivers for every competition we go to that says that your, your insurance is on your own. <laughs> Now, how many, how many contests do you do a year? Um, right now, I mean, we, we got two young children and dogs and jo- full-time jobs and things like that. So we don't make it to a ton right now. I think we would be three to four probably. Three to four a year, yeah. And that's, is that what you need to do? I know, I know when I was watching that episode, they were talking about kind of accumulating some points. Now, is, is that is there a certain number that you have to have to maintain your um, your pro card, or how does that work? Um, so, so the one that you saw on TV that is the Steel Timber Sports Series, and so this past year, um, due to COVID and everything, it was kind of a different format. At least for the women, it was um, you went to your nearest qualifier geographically, but that isn't how um, we were divvied up as far as like competing against two who competed against two um and so that we went my nearest one was in Hayward which was actually kind of nice and close being in the home state um but that one so there for the steel series this past year there was a qualifier or you actually had to submit an application with previous times from other competitions and stuff they took the top athletes divided them up into different pools and then you competed in a qualifier. The top folk from that went on to kind of like a semi-qualifier type of deal and then, and then to the nationals. So oh, very, very cool. And you, you, I've heard at least a couple times in this conversation, you mentioned Hayward, Wisconsin. So very few people know this. I, I doubt Joe know, knows this about me, but our principal in high school, her name was Tina Bosworth. And She's a timber sports, you know, superhero woman, amazing. She would come to our gym classes and in the pool would teach us how to log roll. That is awesome. <laughs> so what, the only, the only sport, uh, timber sport that I ever competed, it, it wasn't really a competition, just, you know, friendly in, in high school gym class was learning how to log roll. And I got to say, it's harder than it looks. Has, have either of you tried it? I have. I did. Um, so for, for like this lumberjack sports, there's kind of two different classes. So there's competitions that we do, um, where it's, you know, athletes that are going to compete for prizes and things like that, where we're actually competing. And then there's also shows that are, you know, a lot of the county fairs and state fairs and things like that, where it's kind of just mocked up. It's, it's a show, you know, yeah. Uh, for the entertainment value of it. And I had done a show as well. Um, for, I think I did one or two. Um, and at that show, 
I, my part of the show was not the log rolling, but there's a lot of downtime and there's a pool of water and it was July or August and it was hot. So, you know, I, I spent a fair share in the pool playing with the log and trying, and I, I don't need another person on the end of the log to fall off the log wins by itself for me. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, Joe, we gotta I was, get I was, guys, I was telling you guys about the Paul Bunyan show and they had one of the entertainment shows there. Okay. with the log rolling they set up the pool and the log rolling and it was a comedy skit and it was the well, here's here's the thing is that there's a lot of amish in that part of new york so there was like four amish men standing in front of me got to be 18 19 20 and i'm watching this skit and i'm like all right yeah, whatever and you look around <clears throat> the whole crowd's the same they're like that's kind of cheesy whatever these four amish guys because they were desensitized I never seen four grown men laugh so hard in my life. They thought it was the funniest thing in the world. So I'm like, you know what? That's sad that we can't even enjoy something as wholesome as a log rolling competition and a skit because they're making it funny. Everybody in the whole crowd was like, <laughs> but these guys thought it was awesome. So I'm like, man, man we're that desensitized. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It it go. It's different at the. I would say the traditional like shows like that you're talking about, or versus going to Hayward. Um, Hayward, for those who haven't been there, actually encompasses everything. So Hayward has every lumberjack discipline that you can do on the chopping and sawing side of the stand, and they also have the other stage where they do the sixty and ninety foot speed climbs as well as the boom running, log rolling, and everything like that. And they cap every night off with the uh, relay race. And I, I work the dock as well as I compete. So I'm doing the measuring cuts. I'm doing all the other stuff up there as well as being a competitor. And you will never hear the crowd yell louder than when you have two log rollers going against each other or two climbers going against each other. Like the hard competition is where people really enjoy it. I mean, you see people that are super close. I mean, um, David, or not David Bolstead, but, you know, Adam LaSalle or a couple of those other guys, Matt Coger that are really good that are just, you know, hit for hit for each other. You'll never hear the crowd yell louder than when those guys are anyone's going really well against each other. So, yeah, there's a difference there. Yeah. You know, and you, you mentioned uh, <clears throat> Coger, Matt Coger. There's a couple family dynasties. You think about Lentz, Coger, and some of the young guys are coming up. So, like, second third generation loggers uh competing now it's got to be pretty exciting yeah well you guys like that that been in it you know you got two little ones running around can you imagine in 20 years you coaching them up you say that it's funny so we um like we have a few like broken axe handles and things like that. And we've screwed wood chips that kind of look like an ax to the end of these broken axe handles. And then after we're done topping, the girls go out there and they use their axes to chop pieces off of what we had already chopped. Oh, <laughs> how cute. That's awesome. How cute is That's that? Awesome. It's a little bit, a little bit safer than having that sharp iron on the end, huh? Right. Yeah. yeah. When they just are bashing a few pieces of wood together, it's probably a little better for a two and five year old. <laughs> <laughs> so when, when, when we're watching on, on TV, and I think Andrew, you were the one who was holding the can as Sarah was cutting, what are you spraying on the log as she's sawing? So I'm doing two things. What I'm spraying is actually WD-40. And uh, you don't see it in my second hand usually, but we have a little wooden wedge on there. So the saws are running, um, are they're peg and raker saws, normally what they are. 
uh, different than a traditional M2 saw. So they're meant to cut really fast and they'll do that really well. The problem is, is they will get, they will get bind um, because normally for the steel series, we cut wet white pine. And you think about a white pine, it's a really pitchy uh, tree full of sap running back and forth on a six foot saw. That's going to actually gum up the saw itself. So we spray WD-40 in the cut to keep the uh, saw lubricated and actually cut as fast as you can. And when she's, uh, I'd say probably about a third of the way through the log, I'm putting the wedge in there. So actually like when the cut comes together, it's not pinching the saw, kind of like when you guys are limbing something off, there's that tension in there. So you'll wedge it, throw some WD-40, try to get it in the teeth area and kind of spray the main body of the saw. That way nothing's jamming up and she can actually make a fast cut. Cause if you were to do it just with nothing there, uh, you can still cut it, but you're going to be struggling and you're going to be bound fairly quick. So more friction and, and, and pressing that would happen without that wedge, right? Correct. And the WD-40, yep. And the WD-40. Yeah, it's got to break down the, the, uh, the resin on the sap. Yep. Correct. Yeah, I, I, uh, my portable mill, when I'm doing white pine, I put um, windshield washer solvent in the blade lubricant for the exact same reason or that bandsaw blade on the mill oh it tires up so fast and you get one or two logs done you're like so those 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 chips that that you're generating with that with that super ultra european grade custom saw <laughs> how, how do the chips that are generated from that differ from what would come out of a traditional chainsaw because they they do look different yeah, we we sometimes say they're they're noodles. So the as the teeth glide across the surface of the wood in that tiny little curve, it it's pulling up and like sometimes you can get noodles that are a few inches long pulling out of there because they they ride up into and then the rakers because we call it a peg and a raker, and so there's cutter teeth and then there's the raker teeth that pull that those noodles or the wood chips out of the curve. No, they'll actually pull it into the gullet of the saw those big tall pieces there so that's why you got to adjust those and the other thing is, is like those those saws are they're sharpened but they're also stoned is the biggest thing so i mean if you can think of like a diamond and a diamond stone that's what they're doing so they'll come over it and they'll sharpen it you know put the initial cut on it and then they'll stone it so it's just a super nice almost blade edge and we're cutting wet white pine i mean it's actually cutting the fibers it's not like a chainsaw where it's just taking a chunk out of and it's going there it's actually cutting in ribbons Shaving. of it so wow yeah it's, so it's almost polished so when that tooth if you look at it under a magnifying glass it's almost polished yep correct and for the most part too i mean those those saws are specially designed I think they start out life is actually from uh, from what I know on a water jet is a, a lumber uh, like a sawmill blade like a big two you know double gang saw blade. Um, they go on a water jet and get cut, and then yeah, they're they're actually stoned out diamond stone polished off the end of it. And there's they're custom made, but there's a company um, Australia, New Zealand have a huge timber sports actually is but that's like their big thing is down there is timber sports. And uh, two Atati axes and saws, they actually make them down there and we export them to the United States. So that's, I'd say half of where your saws and gear come from is actually down under. Yeah, I've been on their website a few times. And <laughs> you get to drop a, a couple of ballerinis on a, either an axe or a saw from them, but the yeah. greatest thing is that you know you're getting the best in the world. So um, I actually have one on order. I'm waiting for an axe. <laughs> are you really? Yeah. There's been a couple uh, North American companies come like Brute. Um, yeah. 
that are coming out with some pretty nice work recently. But um, yeah, you got to go with what you know what works. Like I said, right. that's, uh, that's an internationally known company with some amazing tools. And don't get me wrong, I'll have one one day. It might just be a wall. <laughs> I'll have to get a used one and make it a wall hanger. But well, and the thing is, it it kind of dip, like what works for one person may not work for the next. It's not really the you know, quality maybe so much as like, you got to find an ax that kind of matches your style and your, your strength and that kind of thing. So. And what you're cutting too. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, the species of wood that you're cutting. Yeah. Cause I mean, you, how many axes do you have just right now for steel series? Like four or five. I mean, cause usually in, in the Midwest, most of what we chop is either pine or aspen. And that's, I mean, you usually have two different axes, one for pine, one for Aspen or more, I guess <laughs> you might have more than that, but <laughs> yeah, we're, we're still in the, low, we're still in the low lumberjack game of life. I think I have four or five axes and yeah, there'll be two axes that I just used for white pine that are ground as a banana grind. So it's a super chisel with a hollow chunk in the center that that'll just do white pine. And that's all it chops is really good white pine. And then we have our Aspen axes. That's like all they chop is Aspen. And there's certain axes will chop Aspen better than that. And they all get stoned or cut a different way. So like, I mean, after every competition, we're sitting there and we're just nicely stoning our axes, being very good with them. And then after, you know, a year or two, depending on how much you use them, you'll send them back out and they'll just get resharpened again. And some guys are good enough. Like we send our gear to a couple of guys that are good enough to do it themselves. But yeah, there's, you, it's always constantly sharpening something. Oh, that's, yeah, I wrote that down about finding a saw. Now that's, you know, Sarah, you made a great point of finding. And it's not like um, urban forestry. If Corey and I wanted to find a new climbing saddle, we run on down to the uh, arboriculture arborist store and we could try 30 of them on. Right. You guys don't have a chance other than maybe at a comp uh, making a run on somebody. But then who's going to let you run their saw if they're competing with it? So <laughs> it's going to be tough to find. How are you going to, how do you find that tool or that, that you're competing with, the one that fits you the best? Yeah, I mean, trial and error, a lot of buying and selling and trading. The, the black market of timber sports saws. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you buy a saw and it's not working for you, I mean, if, you know, you might at the next competition be like, hey, this one's for sale. Does anybody want to give her a go? And <laughs> Yeah, I, I have definitely done that before. Like, hey, I need a saw. And they're like, well, you want to use mine? Like, I got one. Here's a, you know, a 623 cutter. Like, yeah, I'll give it a try. And then after that, well, it's for sale or no, it's not for sale. Or, I mean, my best, my, my best underhand this year was uh, the ax. I didn't even own actually this year at Hayward. I chopped 31 second underhand in it. It wasn't even my ax. And the guy's like, Hey, I got it on, you know, if you want to buy it someday, like I got another two on order from two year right now, but like, I'll let you know if, if this thing ever, you know, needs a home. And I was like, all right, cool. So, I mean, it's a lot of buying and selling between people all the time. And there's always people going to two or brute forge or whatever and be like, Hey, I need two or three, you know, six by eight bananas or something like that. And they'll buy a bunch and offload some gear. So. It, it sounds like a great community. And when, when people, I know after listening to this episode, a lot of, a lot of the listeners are actually going to go onto YouTube and they'll search for some of the things that we've talked about here. And it sounds like an amazing community where you folks are actually cheering each other on and, and you want to be safe and you want to progress. And uh, as we're, as we're kind of drawing towards an end this evening, please just let us know, uh, is there, are there any messages that you really want to get out to people or, or any words of inspiration on how, how people can, can get into this sport? 
Yeah, I mean, I I think it that's one of the things that I love about this sport, at least in my experience, has been that community feeling and like the the openness. Some of the more veteran folks have been very welcoming and willing to try and share knowledge and help better folks coming into it. Um, so it's like you said, Joe, I mean, finding gear is tough and it's a big expense to start, start in that path of finding gear. And so like getting, getting to know folks, you know, if you go to a competition or something or have something in your local area, finding other people that are already doing it is probably your best in, and just starting to make those connections. Yeah, I'd say like just finding somebody that's really good at it too. And like, if you're going to do this, like have the want to do it. I mean, there's people that come up and be like, oh, I love your guys' axe. I love your guys' saw. And, you know, they might, you know, buy a cheap axe and start swinging at it. And like either they end up ruining it because they're not talking to anyone or they just give it up after a competition. And it's like, if you like it, stick with it. Um, it's like anything, the, the more you train, the better you'll get. Um, the other thing is, <laughs> and it sounds really stupid, but find a way to get wood. Um, the only way to get better at this position, at this stuff is to find wood. Um, I'm lucky I'm a forester. I can buy some, actually, I kind of pick some stuff off the landing and be like, Hey, logger, can I buy five sticks of this from you? Or I'll go into my, uh, my family's woods and like, Hey, that's a good Aspen tree. I'll go that. And we're constantly, I mean, we're, I mean, in some years we're chopping six full cord of wood. I mean, between the two of us, if not more just to practice on. So, I mean, getting a good training area, getting somebody that knows what they're doing, getting some decent gear and then finding some wood. Like if you can keep all that up, you'll be doing well. So do you heat your house with wood? I do. (laughs) Fantastic. That's yeah. I kind of did thing. Um, I befriended uh, Aaron um, online and she's been awesome as far as helping with wood species and all kinds of stuff. But now that I got somebody closer, I have to reach out for some help. But uh, it's been amazing talking to you both. And uh, if I was a little younger, I probably would do it. But my goal now is just to help Michigan State Forestry Club get better. So maybe yeah. uh, they'll be part of the pond whooping on uh, University of Wisconsin Stephen Poinson. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll see. see. We'll see. Go over to our house. Yeah, we'll go go to I'm gonna have to tell them that we got a wager. We got to go over there and whoop their ass. So, um, <laughs> not not gonna happen. But Sarah and Andrew, thank you so much for being guests. I know this is gonna cut us off in a second, kind of without warning. So really, truly, thank you for being on. It's been so great to see both of you. It's been it's been way too long. Let's not go 15 years before we talk again. Okay. <laughs> Sounds like a plan. No problem, man. It's good seeing you guys. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for everything. Hey, great topic today. Yes, and lots of good information. Yeah, probably one of our best yet. If you enjoyed the podcast or have topics you would like to discuss, please send them to discoveringforestry at gmail.com. And please hit the subscribe button and tell a friend. Thanks, guys, uh, for tuning in. Until next time, I'm Joe. And I'm Corey. Signing Signing out. out.